Welcome back to From the Front Row, brought to you by the University of Iowa College of Public Health. My name is Ben Sint, and if this is your first time with us, welcome. We're a student-run podcast that talks about major issues in public health and how they are relevant to anyone, both in and out of the field of public health. Today we'll be chatting with Dr. Daniel McGee, the director of the National Advanced Driving Simulator Laboratories here at the University of Iowa, and a professor in the Department of Industrial and Systems Engineering, Emergency Medicine, Occupational and Environmental Health, and Public Policy. Welcome to the show, Dr. McGee. Before we get started, more information can be found out about the National Advanced Driving Simulator at nads.uiowa.edu. That's nads.uiowa.edu. All right, so in a brief synopsis, can you explain what the driving simulator is and like what the benefits of simulation are? Thank you very much, Ben, for having me uh, today. It's great to be here. I've listened to a number of your podcasts, and it's a great service that the College of Public Health is providing. The College of Public Health has been a long partner in driving simulation from as far as back as I can remember. But driving simulation is unique. Many people and your listeners may have even had uh, a rudimentary driving simulator in their driver's education from way back when. Certainly there are driving games out there, but high fidelity driving simulation as it's known is really used in a couple different ways. I think the main principle is that we can put people into positions that are far too dangerous to do on a test track and certainly on the public roadways. And so the National Advanced Driving Simulator is a national laboratory under the USDOT's National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, who does safety policy work and sets safety standards for the US government. So the National Advanced Driving Simulator is really used to not only develop new technologies, but to test emerging technologies as well as understand the limits of driver performance, human performance in the context of alcohol, legal and illegal drugs like cannabis, over-the-counter drugs like antihistamine kinds of drugs. And so really what we do is we provide an immersive environment. So this simulator, which is is made up of a full-size vehicle. So Right now we have a Toyota Camry in there, there's SUVs, there's tractors, there's heavy truck cabs that we can put in. And the driver is surrounded by a 360 degree view of this virtual world. And inside that dome that sits on top of six big spidery legs and then moves around a really large bay that is as big as a basketball stadium. So it has a lot of room to move to mimic the forces of driving. So when you brake hard, you get thrown forward, you feel the seat belt. When you swerve, you, you get all of the dynamic situations of what you would feel in the real world. So experimentally, we can put people into the exact same conditions every time versus when we drive on the road, we lose that experimental control to be able to put people into the same situation. So it's something that we should have you out sometime. Like I said, many of your colleagues in public health have done work there. Yeah, so that that's really cool. So it sounds like driving simulation could be done anywhere. How did it end up, you know, like one of the largest in the world end up here in Iowa? It's a great question though, that is a bit odd that out here in the in the Midwest, away from the auto industry in the Detroit area or Silicon Valley, that this device is here. But it's really based on a very rich history in developing vehicle dynamics models, which is sort of a geeky area of engineering and mechanical engineering 
that was first uh, started here by a mechanical engineering professor named Ed Haug, very famous engineer, who wanted to take his engineering research to another level. Normally that's done, you know, on computers. So computational simulations is where you can run thousands and millions of combinations and permutations of different ways systems can work. So you can model, for instance, a shock absorber um, and make it work in all sorts of different ways. But when you want to actually connect it to the dynamic world of how a human driver works, there's a lot of uncertainty in how we drive. You drive differently than I do. My daughter drives differently than I do. Everybody has a very different, unique signature in how they steer, how they brake, how they accelerate. And that's important for engineers and designers to understand that variation among drivers to make sure that we're considering all of the different options of how you can design the best and safe system. So the reason that came to Iowa was that Professor Haug, who was very well connected, we as a university, he had a vision of creating a national laboratory here at the University of Iowa and approached the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, as well as the National Science Foundation, to do uh, a national competition. And in the national competition, in the very end, the University of Michigan and Ann Arbor and Iowa were the finalists. Uh, University of Michigan also, as you can imagine, being in the backyard of the big three forever, had a lot of history in automotive engineering as well. National Science Foundation ultimately picked the University of Iowa because of its long simulation experience, and the National Advanced Driving Seminar was then built here. Yeah, that's really cool that you know that all that path led us to having this here at the University of Iowa, especially for our public health college. And speaking of public health, usually people think of public health it's more of like the hospital medical idea. In your opinion, like why is the driving simulator important for our public health? I think that. Probably one of the most and least understood areas of public health is automotive safety. And I think before COVID, car crashes were the number one cause of death for people ages 14 to about 27 or 28, the number one cause of death and serious injury. So car crashes are a serious public health issue. They sort of get swept under the carpet sometimes, but in an average year, we lose about 34 to 40,000 people just in the U.S. alone, and over a million people a year in the, in the world die on roads, whether they're a pedestrian, a bicyclist, a driver. So when you compare it to other areas of public health, it's actually really one of the highest injury and fatality rates of anything that you can do in life. Teenagers... Uh, and young people, the most dangerous thing they can do is drive a car. And uh, so that's something that we keep very close to ourselves, especially in our collaborations with our colleagues in the College of Public Health. And that's certainly something that they appreciate. But I think the motoring public, while many people have known a person that has been killed in a car crash tragically or seriously injured, it's something that we sort of, there's a one of and another and another, and it's, it's sort of in the noise, if you will. And that I think is really a challenge for us that are trying to severely reduce or eliminate altogether car crashes. So I'm sure most people before hearing this podcast had only vaguely heard of the idea of simulated driving. 
How did you and your career path lead you to where you are today? Well, I, I think that I sort of like to say, like they do in Iowa, I sort of took the long way around the barn to get here. I actually started in aviation out of undergraduate school. I started working at Boeing in their advanced flight deck research. So their cockpit research division where simulation of the next generation of cockpit was going on. And so I studied pilot performance workload and vision and, and help design elements of different cockpits. And uh, the simulator there was key because you can't, you know, grab a 747 and go for a three or four hour joyride to, you know, run an experiment. And so flight simulation was really where I started my career uh, studying eye tracking patterns of, of pilots. And uh, when I went back to grad school after a few years, I met a professor who was doing pretty much the same thing in the automate on in the automotive domain. And after that, I was sort of hooked on automotive and I've had a lot of different opportunities to build the first generation crash avoidance systems that are now quickly becoming ubiquitous on new cars. And that's largely because the opportunities here at the University of Iowa to put those uh, together. But aviation was really sort of my first love in my work, which is a whole lot of fun to get taught how to fly a big jetliner right out of college. So some of the work the National Advanced Driving Simulator has been working on recently is the UAC guys actually started a demonstration project on testing a partially automated shuttle bus that drives around rural areas here in Iowa City. And, and your team is also recruiting local partners to ride with you. Can you speak more on this new like automated driving and you know things that are not quite simulated you know, out in the public somewhat now? Yeah, so increasingly the cost of uh, putting some of these technologies uh, onto the public roads has come down considerably. And we, because we study safety overall, we are very sensitive about when uh, and how we implement on-road testing. Most of the automated driving work demonstrations and others are done in urban areas that have sunshine 24 seven, practically 365 days a year. So I just late last night returned from Tempe, Arizona, where I was able to test one of the new uh, Google cars known as Waymo is is their division for automated driving in the desert, but in heavy urban traffic, but urban areas are unique because they generally have really good quality roads, perfect roads, perfect paint that computer vision systems and other sensors see from these vehicles. Whereas the rural environment, which really makes up most of North America outside of our really large cities of Los Angeles and Houston and New York and many others really have infrastructure that is well-maintained. Whereas rural North America, whether you're in Canada or the US is made up of gravel roads and unmarked rough roads that are not well-maintained. And so what we decided to do is sort of own our ruralness and study the imperfect and and make automated vehicles understand the imperfect world better. And uh, a number of our collaborators in the auto industry thought we were crazy to do this and thought it was impossible to do, but we indeed are now doing that as we speak. We are running a 47-mile rural loop that goes down to Riverside and over to Kelowna, Iowa, and back around to Iowa City in a shuttle bus. And it's working out pretty well. And so the data that are collected from that 
are going to be made public. Whereas when you look at other computer industry companies, they don't release their data because it's a very proprietary thing. It's not because there's some safety issue. They're not. There's a lot of regulations that states like California and others put together to make sure that the motoring public is safe from these vehicles. But this is the first study that people from around the world will be coming to Iowa City to look at the data that we're gathering in this very unique environment. So that's really awesome that we're getting automation already out on the roads. But, you know, the U.S. is a very car-centric country. We're built for cars. How do you see automation, like, taking a hold in our, you know, everyday life? Do you see it happening, though, sooner, 100 years from now, et cetera? You know, like, how do you see it coming out here forward? I think it's going to come into stages, come in stages. I think it will be a very long time before self-driving vehicles will become ubiquitous in our society, but I think they will slowly build. In fact, one thing you don't see here in Iowa City yet, hopefully soon, is little delivery robots that are, you know, the size of like a couple of suitcases stacked on top of one another that deliver, you know, sandwiches or pizza or even specialty, you know, within city, you know, if somebody has a, you know, a special package from a law firm that needs to go across town that's made up of papers and files, they can be picked up by those, which may have been historically done by bicycle bicycle-driven delivery folks. But, you know, I was just in Tempe, Arizona this week, and I saw probably over a dozen of these delivery robots operating on the sidewalks around Arizona State University. They have partnerships there with Silicon Valley companies, again, because they have dry sidewalks year-round. It's much more difficult when we get out to the Midwest and other snowbound states that have rain and slush and grit for these little robots to operate. I think that's going to be really one of the biggest challenges. Driving related, you know, complete robot uh, driving is still, even though the technology is here today, one of the big challenges is how policymakers can implement these kinds of vehicles safely. So it's one thing for a really large and wealthy corporation like Google's Waymo division to make these kinds of cars work. And you can go to Tempe right now today within a certain geofenced area and and take out your Waymo One app and actually call one of these vehicles. I recommend people go to Tempe and do that. It's really one of the most incredible experiences to, to drive. And after a while, I like to say that's sort of remarkably unremarkable to actually drive one of these vehicles, ride in one of these vehicles rather, to see it it making decisions. In fact, our, we were on a rural, on a, excuse me, a residential roadway and the vehicle even slowed down for a pigeon in the road. So these sensor systems are quite sophisticated today. And like I said, our team was very impressed with how well these vehicles are operating today. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how, you know, legislation and technology advance here forward. But for our listeners that are interested in driving simulation and research, is there a way for them to participate in studies? Yeah, so I think we'll provide some links for you as part of your podcast. If you go to the National Advanced Driving Simulator website, nads.uiowa.edu, you'll find some links on how to participate in different studies. We have a large database of people that every study has a different kind of pre-screening required. Sometimes we need younger drivers, older drivers, 
drivers with different medical conditions and so forth. So once you enter your information into our website, then hopefully you'll get called at some point to participate either in an on-road study or on the simulator. Nice. And uh, as a final question here, we usually ask our people we interview, uh, what's one thing you thought you knew, but you were later wrong about? Oh, gosh. Well, I think I'm being slowly. Actually, this week was a big one for me. I've been quite skeptical about automated driving and how well it can be implemented. And, And I've been looking behind the curtain for about 30 years with the technologies that have come together today. And I was very impressed with how Waymo, Google Cars division, has implemented their self-driving vehicles in very complicated traffic with pedestrians. You know, we started off in a supermarket parking lot, which was crowded, ended up with another shopping center, which was crowded with pedestrians and bicycles and even pigeons. And this vehicle worked almost flawlessly. And this is a recent application that's now on the road in, in testing with real people. So your listeners can go, like I said, to Tempe, download the Google One app. You know, as long as they're within a certain region of Chandler, Arizona, you'll get picked up by uh, a robot car and get to experience that. It's much like picking an Uber or a Lyft. You just dial in where you are. It tells you, of course, your phone knows where you are. Give it a destination. And in 15 minutes, you get picked up by a car that drives into wherever you are. Nice. That's kind of wraps it all together. Thank you for coming on the show today. This was a great conversation. Great to learn about automated driving and not something people know a whole lot about. And it's very interesting. Yeah. Well, thanks, Ben. And thanks for all your team does uh, to get this really important information out to the public. I think as a university, we need to do more to publicly describe our research and why it's important to the public, why our research is so relevant, whether you're in English literature or public health or engineering, medicine, what we all do has major relevance to living in a better place. That's it for our episode this week. Big thanks to Dr. McGeehee for coming on with us today. This episode was hosted and written by Ben Sent and produced and edited by Alexis Clark. You can learn more about the University of Iowa College of Public Health on Facebook. Our podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to help support the podcast, please share it with your colleagues. Our team can be reached at cph-gradambassador at uiowa.edu. This episode was brought to you by the University of Iowa College of Public Health. Stay happy, stay healthy, and keep learning.